Welcome to Important, Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question that is affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years or so. If it can kill us or build the tree spaceship from Saga, we're in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts, politicians, as what I meant to say, astronauts, even a reverend, and more. And we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. You did great on that. Sorry about the one <laughs> misstep. This is your super friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter and Important Not Imp, or you can uh, email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Got a bunch this week in uh, Mandarin, which. Don't oh. do much about. Well, we can Google Translate it. Yeah, well, we can try. Um, and you can also send us a voice message uh, at the link in our show notes. Uh, you can also join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Quick note on that. If you uh, have a Gmail email address and you subscribe to our newsletter, do us a huge favor and go find that fucker in spam if it's in there. And please mark as not spam. That would be super helpful. Because for, for all of us, for uh, just for everyone to saving the world, not spam. That would be great. Brian, go for it. This week's episode is talking about why, and I know this is crazy. It's crazy. Why raising the status of girls can help save everything. Goes against everything white guys have based everything on yeah. for how long we've been around? 200,000 years. Or there so. it is. Yep. Uh, our guest is the magnificent, uh, super fun, super smart, wonderful science communicator, human person, horse rider, death, Dr. Catherine Wilkinson. That really went on, huh? Uh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, she is an expert in everything and has made a fairly specific list Oh yeah. Uh, of all of the ways we can and should be fighting this thing. Uh, this thing being uh, climate change, the climate crisis. Global uh, warming. And she's ranked them in order. And Brian, there's some surprises. Sure are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Number six and seven. Super interesting. Super interesting. Let's not give it away. No, 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 no. Masters no. of suspense we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> Let's go talk to Catherine. Quick question. What's oh, okay. the tree spaceship from Saga? Have you not read Saga? No. Fun talk it is. Excellent. See you later. Our guest today is Catherine Wilkinson. And together we're going to discuss, uh, Brian, how, this is crazy, how not treating women and girls like shit can also help save the world. Huh. Uh, you would think that this would be obvious. Uh, Catherine, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you. Thrilled. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do. Sure. Well, you know, there's like the professional title side of things. Um, I am a vice president at the nonprofit Project Drawdown. I'm an author and environmentalist and generally heartbroken but determined lover of this planet uh, and user <laughs> of words to try to help it out. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of yeah. it sounds like kitchen sink, essentially, like whatever, yeah. the, whatever the things are. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so you said that that's the professional version. Is there? Are you Batman on the side? Like, right. what's the what's the other <laughs> version? Oh, you know, like if the planet wasn't burning, like if there was not important work to be, you know, to be done on that front, um, I would probably be riding and and training horses, mm, um, which is wow. which is like the great love of my life. Yeah. How much time do you have for that these days? And do you um, feel an overwhelming <laughs> guilt that you're not saving the planet while you're doing it, like I do? 
I have not ridden in a year, uh, mm. which is not, that's not, that's not a great record. Um, I was riding a lot before that actually. Um, and it's a good counterpoint, I think, to, to this climate work because it just, you know, it gets me like present and much more focused than I'm ever able to be meditating animals. Like animals are just good medicine, I think. I don't, she's pretending as if like this year has been something exceptional as if a bunch of shit has been going on that's keeping her from riding her horses. Mm. Uh, It's just lazy. Um, That's that's awesome. You know, I feel like maybe we should add that question to our list of like, hey, guest, if everything wasn't on fire slash underwater, what would you be doing doing? with your fucking life? Um, I'm into that. Yeah, Lord knows you wouldn't be here, Brian. Good God. No, 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 ran no, 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 away no. from here a no long way. time ago. That's good to know. Okay, noted. Awesome. Well, yeah, what, we really appreciate you being here and, and what you're doing and that you're not, uh, we're keeping you from your horses at this moment. <laughs> are there wild horses? Where, are there wild horses running around the Smoky Mountains? Is that a thing? Uh, no, but that would be How great cool would if, be? They're, if, if they're were. I'm just living in a world now where <laughs> that's happening and we're both, and everybody's happy. Brian, how would you approach a wild horse? With so much love and with like probably like a high-pitched voice. You know, <laughs> hey, bud. They're so hey, bud. beautiful. God, they're gorgeous. You can, um, I'm pretty sure that the government will pay you to adopt a wild horse. Whoa. Should we get a fucking horse? Oh my God, where do we put him? Uncle- we don't even um, have room for a new water thing in here. <laughs> yeah, well, baby steps. Yeah. Baby, steps. baby steps, baby steps. Um, you can look at them online. Uh, I think wow. I have a friend who adopted a wild Mustang. That is yeah. holy wild. shit. I know, oh, no, man. I got like I got three toddlers. I effectively have <laughs> wild <Yeah>. Mustangs. <laughs> we'll put That's it in our ten year plan. That's my, a wild herd. <laughs> my youngest child is basically. Do you remember the Kool Aid Man who just oh. burst, oh, burst through a wall? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my youngest kid. Like just <laughs> the answer to everything is physicality. Right, so right, he right. is the same thing. I approach him with like a high pitched voice. Hey, <laughs> don't do that, please. <laughs> oh, that's like in an and an outstretched hand with a snack. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no sudden movements. Oh my god. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so okay, Catherine. Here's what we're gonna do. We are uh, gonna go over some quick context um, regarding the question at hand today. Uh, or the topic, I should say, and and uh, then we'll dig into some some questions, some action oriented questions that get to the heart of why we should all care about it and care about you and what you're doing. Does that sound good? That sounds great. All right, Catherine. We start with one important question to set the tone for this whole fiasco. Instead of telling us your entire life story, as much as I would love to know, uh, we like to ask Catherine, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Oh my lord. <laughs> <laughs> Should we we just stop it right there? Yeah, perfect, perfect. (laughs) Um, Well, be bold, be honest, be bold. Look, I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not vital to the survival of the species. I mean, none of us is right. But I am. I I am sort of hell bent um, on trying to steer humanity like away from the kamikaze mission that we seem to be on um, at the moment. You know, you know that scene in um, Dr. Strangelove where the guy's like cowboy bucking Bronco riding the bomb to, mm-hmm. you know, like I sort of feel like that's, you know, that's what we're trying to kind of steer things uh, away from. 
uh, and our and our work at Project Drawdown and and my work on on climate generally is like there's actually a different we could go down a different path um, that would be more fun probably certainly healthier and so let's like yeah why don't we go this way over over here instead of you know kind of catapulting to our death which which feels like what, oh my, we're, yeah. what we're doing at the moment <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of a hopeless interdisciplinarian. So I think the, you know, the the sort of useful skill set that I bring to the whole thing is like being able to do sort of landscape level perspective, knitting together um, and, and translating things that are often really wonky and impenetrable and dry um, into something a little bit more digestible. At least that's what I try to do. Uh, well, that, that's important because I think if we've learned anything over the past, I don't know, 37 years, when was the Exxon thing? The facts aren't cutting uh, it. Yeah. Uh, and we need people who, who can do that translation and knitting, uh, especially interdisciplinary stuff, because it turns out everything's tied together um, <laughs> and uh, can tell those stories in effective ways. So we're, we're glad you're here, metaphorically, uh, spiritually, uh, physically on the podcast. So thank you. My pleasure. Okay, let's let's do this thing a little bit. This is not. We'll, we'll, we'll actually some of some of the sometimes these little contextual uh, things that I throw out into the world are, are very wonky. Sometimes they're more uh, not metaphysical is not the word. Coffee hasn't kicked in yet. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe we'll get there because we're going to have some questions that ask about w- w- why. A drawdown is what it is and how it's built the way it is. But just to take a big step back again for everybody who's who's texting and driving uh, and turning left when they shouldn't be. Here's the deal as far as how we are currently and should be in in the very near future dealing with this thing called climate change or climate crisis as as everyone is is changing their uh, vernacular appropriately. Um, there are a, a huge variety of 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 touted and and in some ways very proven ways for us to slow and by the grace of all that is holy, perhaps Sunday over the fucking rainbow (laughs) begin to actually stop climate change. The most common and I guess superficial that is not superficial, but the ones you that listeners can see with their own eyes on a day-to-day basis are probably, you know, electric cars and residential solar panels. Right. And then there's stop flying so much. Please eat plants, mostly plants. Use mass transit or scooters or bikes. Stop wasting food, which we do just a tremendously bad job of here. Further out from that, you've got uh, wind power farms, both onshore and offshore uh, solar farms, um, whether the huge ones in the deserts or in your neighborhood in that tract of land that nobody ever developed, uh, replanting forests, uh, hydroelectric, cutting out coal, of course, electrifying the grid, ships, demolishing industrial agriculture, yada, yada. And we can skip ahead, right, to uh, actual carbon removal, sequestration. Uh, Not quite pipe dreams anymore, but also still such a long way from being both scalable and affordable. But there's one, or I guess two related items, near the very top of the list that are rarely discussed, I guess, when it comes to fighting climate change. In 2019, I think in the past five years or so, I I feel like they've certainly gained prominence, which is great, but maybe not necessarily for this 
specific mission among the most common chatter about how to deal with this existentialist crisis we're facing, which is kind of fascinating because like many of the methods discussed that we talk about every day in the Green New Deal and things like that, we're realizing that, like you said, in, in sort of an interdisciplinary way, these these missions are not inherently, nor should they be segregated from one another. Fim- fighting climate change and, for example, building an economy of equitable, clean jobs inherently, turns out, go together. Uh, planting millions of trees in big cities reduces urban heat and cleans the air, reducing cardiovascular diseases, uh, early deaths, classroom issues that we've seen in Los Angeles and I know DC is dealing with, horrific rates of asthma among children and the elderly. Everybody wins, which is great. Um, I understand how some people, it can seem overwhelming, and this is our arguments already against things like the Green New Deal, that the trying to do all these things at once is, is too much. We need to save them flavor. But it, first of all, that's wrong, but it's also vital that we see these things as a challenge, yes, but also an, uh, an opportunity to make a, a, a new world, a healthier, cleaner, more evergreen and, and equitable world. And it turns out, and, and I just love this and I'm fascinated with, by this and want to dig into it, that a lot of that starts with little girls across the world. So with that, uh, I, I want to talk about, <laughs> again, how not treating women and girls like shit can also help save the world. But I want to leave people hanging for one second longer. Catherine, tell us what Project Drawdown is. So Project Drawdown is uh, kind of a, a small but uh, mighty <laughs> nonprofit that really came came into existence because the problem statement of climate change is so big and so overwhelming. And we've needed a really comprehensive assessment of what the solutions are that we can actually bring to this crisis to slow it and hopefully ultimately turn things around. And so that's what we've done at Project Drawdown. We've done a a global kind of all sectors assessment of the technologies and practices, what we call quote unquote solutions that are already in hand. So these are not someday maybe if we're lucky and Elon Musk figures it out. It's like, nope, this is this is the toolbox we have today. It's scientifically valid. It's economically viable. And all we need to do is scale it real fast um, <laughs> all and we everywhere. Need to do. That's it. <laughs> all we need to do. And uh yeah, so that's so so we're kind of a, a resource, right, for for climate solutions and what we hope is some some wisdom and some inspiration about what we can do in this moment as we face, you know, probably the biggest challenge the human species has has encountered to date. So not much. It's just like a day-to-day <laughs> side project sort of thing. I could probably it's take care of that today. Day-to-day yeah. side project. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really kind of like a curation of humanity's collective wisdom. Um and if if you're feeling sort of You bummed, keep reducing it to nothing. It's just weird. <laughs> but but like if you're feeling sort of, you know, uh bummed about humans, which, you know, I think that that can be a thing that you feel. Um drawdown <sighs> is like, oh wow, you know, we're not just terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, greedy, lazy creatures. We're also creative and collaborative and 
committed and compassionate. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's really the story that we have to lean into in this moment and, and drawdown kind of tells that story from a place of, of data and science and rigor. Look, I don't understand why we have to bring data and science. (laughs) I mean, personally, I'm much more into poetry than data, but, um, but you know, I think there's a, there's a role for both. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. It, it is essential, right? And it is, it really feels like the 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 necessary tip of the sword for this so-called resistance is like, guys, look, here's a list of shit we can literally do and some of which we're already doing and it's and it's measured and measurable and and yeah, we're we're way fucking behind the eight ball, but but look at these things and, and look at this, yeah. like you said, cross-disciplinary look, because it is such a fascinating list. Uh, uh, of things that are, it really reaches across the board. But turns out if we do a lot of these, boy, uh, it may, might not get so hot. <sighs> yeah. And I, and I have to give, um, you know, a little asterisk to, um, to your intro, which I thought was fantastic. And I may steal some things from it. But one is that, you know, on the sequestration side of things, we have this incredible technology that nature has been working on for 3.8 billion years, which is photosynthesis. Right? <laughs> the, the planet has has exactly the tools that are needed to keep carbon in balance. We're just, you know, we're sort of dead set on burning it real fast, sending a lot of it up into the atmosphere and into the oceans. But on on that front, we actually, there's so much that we can do now to actually bring bring carbon back home and regenerate ecosystems and soil and all that good stuff. Yeah, so... Let's talk about the surprising ones here and, and, the, and the point of it today. So I, I think what's most fascinating about the whole thing, and I really keep using that because I think people are, are, are going to, when they hear this, they probably go, huh, that's interesting because mm-hmm. it, it's not what you hear about. It, it, hearing them on the list, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But it's where they are on this very measurable list that's really interesting. Educating mm-hmm. girls in fam- family planning are numbers six and seven on the drawdown list of the most effective actions we can take to fight climate change based on per the book and the website, uh, the plausible scenario, which models the growth solutions on the drawdown list based on a reasonable, but vigorous rate from 2020 to 2050. So it's obviously not as simple as this, but again, trying to give people context, educating girls and family planning, both rank above rooftop solar, regenerative agriculture, afforestation, geothermal, nuclear, offshore wind, uh, there's some big names in there. Um, yeah. Let's talk about educating girls first. Give me some more context for why that's number six. What that means, again, treat us like kindergartners, um, <laughs> and then give us some context for why it's ranked where it is and 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 how it's being deployed. Sure. So the the kind of caveat that I have to give up front is that educating girls and access to reproductive health care are things that we should be pursuing period right because they are fundamental right. rights of of women and girls and right. within drawdown we look at like oh also guess what there are these other positive ripple effects of of securing the fundamental rights and and opportunities and and well-being of women and girls so Caveat up front. Um, and w- so what we see with education is that when girls and young women have more years of school, 
it changes their lives, right? They are able to make different choices about who they become and what they do um, and what the contours of their life looks like. And one of the choices that we see super consistently is that more years of education is correlated with smaller families. So among the choices that that girls and women end up making, marrying later, having um, fewer children, and having more control over when they choose to have those children. And so sort of size and, and spacing. And if you add up the choices that individual women and their partners make around the world and over time, you end up having a, a big impact on fertility rates and then sort of the growth of the the human family at large, right? So mm-hmm. our individual family choices add up to what our human family looks like, you know, to the tune of 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 millions and and even a, a billion or so people. And education, of course, is very tightly linked with with family planning, um, with access to high quality, voluntary and comprehensive reproductive health care, right? So if you want to have a smaller family or if you want to postpone having children until later in life, you need some means to do that. Um, birth control, condoms, contraception of various stripes, you know, all the dimensions of, of reproductive health care. And that's why you see those two solutions sitting really closely together and draw down because they're in fact so entangled that it's very hard to tell where one leaves off and the other begins, right? <laughs> and and so what we did was actually look at the integrated impact of uh, of education and reproductive health care. Um, and then we just split it between the two. So actually, if you look at them together, they turn out to be a top, if not the top drawdown solution, um, certainly on par with solar and wind and forests and, and regenerative agriculture. Is it incredibly lazy to say they just add up to fewer babies and, and healthier women? What, what I, let, me, let me dial back. So I guess what yeah. I'm trying to help myself and, and other people understand is, I guess, so let's talk about edu- educating girls. What is the, I guess, the current mark where we need to do better? Like, what is a threshold? And and what are we trying to get to? Is it like we need to get girls to a seventh grade education? We need to get girls to a fourth grade education? We need to, like, for, for to have a measurable effect. Is it they need a high school education? Obviously, there's a, a huge variety of circumstances across the world and across demographics. So I'm just, I, I just, I'm trying to visualize this a little better. So people understand when they're taking action, what we're trying to get to. What we're looking for. So, I mean, again, my caveat will be that like, we should be getting girls as much education as girls want. (laughs) Um, For as many years as they want. I know, I know. But I have to say this, right? Because it can become, you know, it can become a little, uh, it can become a little like, you know, sort of 
like, well, how many, you know, how many years of education do we put in to get fewer babies out? Right. Like it, it, it's, we have to be, I think, careful about, about this stuff. It's a, it's a tricky topic. I mean, the the, the correct answer is like girls, Beyonce is correct. Like girls should run the fucking world (laughs) and get the fuck out of the way. That's like our podcast is 60% lady guests because no one needs to hear more fucking white guys. And we get arguments with white guys on uh, like on our Twitter feed and stuff all the time. They're like, what's the matter with white guys? I'm like, well, are we, do you want to have that conversation? Like, should we get, <laughs> should you really want to get into that pal? Um, but it's true. So of course the answer is like as much as they want more totally. than enough, run the whole thing. You and Rihanna <laughs> should be fucking dictators for life. That's great. <laughs> just be done with the whole thing. But for, for, for the people who are just like, I want to measure where my dollar goes and, and know where this totally. is doing. And like, but I, I also think it just helps to paint a picture of like where we are right now. Which yeah, is like, totally. Why is this? Totally, high? totally. This wouldn't be so high on the list if it wasn't such a fucking problem. Right. Does that if make it sense? it wasn't a problem. So yeah, tell us exactly. about the problem. So, so, so here's some good news. Some good news is that the world has actually made some really good progress in in primary education and basically getting girls into elementary school and through elementary school. Um, the, the biggest gaps that we continue to see are in secondary school classrooms. And of course, you can imagine, right, that's at, that's at the same time that, you know, bodies are becoming adult bodies. And, right, um, right there are, are lots of different dynamics at work. That's when you can start to see early marriage dynamics dynamics emerge. So mm. we know that it's really, really important for girls to get all the way through a secondary school education. Okay. Um, and then, you know, anything beyond that is is fantastic. Um, and we know that we have sort of the most work to do still to close that gap in in secondary school. And for folks who are like jazzed about this particular topic, I would love to just mention the work of Christina Kwok, who's at the Brookings Institution. And she does work on this intersection of girls' education and climate change um, and, and really trying to understand the full suite of intersections there um, beyond, you know, beyond what we looked at in Drawdown, which really is what's the implicate, what's the what's the impact of, you know, of shifting this variable of of population size mm-hmm. over the coming decades. I'm going to definitely have to hit you up for an intro to her. I would love yeah. to talk to her as well. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so it's and it, I mean, it makes so much sense. Again, like you paint the picture of the problem, but. Uh, understanding that, like, of course, that's when, if we can just get them through these these last few years, because yeah, that's when a young girl who's turning into a young woman can start to help around the house, and it seems like an easy answer until all of a sudden she hasn't been in school in three years and she's just behind. Yeah, and you understand the short term fix of we we need her to to help or to do these things, but um, in the long term, it, yeah, it it is what it is. We are where we are now. Yeah, and you can understand right the the ways in which the kind of ripple effects throughout a girl's life means that she has a, a lot less choices, right? If she's not educated, and uh, and 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 the doors that sort of open because of that are are not open to her. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because there's so many doors open for women anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, the doors are just, they're so abundant. Sometimes I'm like, could we close some of these? It's just too much. <laughs> let's just back it up. Let's too many throw, doors. Let's, let's do it all again. Too many you know? doors. <laughs> this was a fun video game to play. That's uh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, se- semi-related, but semi-off topic. I'm, uh, be- I know she has been a huge in- influence in a lot of ways in this world in the past uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, have you checked out uh, Melinda Gates' new book? You know, I haven't read it. It's I have not read it. It is have not. You? Uh, I did. Um, yeah. I, I'm so inspired by them. Um, it is just incredible what they do. Um, but I'm really, it's, it's, it's kind of not what you think. It's actually sort of, instead of like a, hey, this is how we're changing the world and what we should all go do. It's a really interesting, it's almost like when Bruce Springsteen's book came out and everyone's like, cool, rock and roll biography. And he was like, actually... This is a 400 page therapy session about how fucked up I am and why it's influenced what I do and how it's come a long way and the demons I'm wrestling with and why people should talk about mental health. And you're like, what? Mm -hmm. And hers is really interesting introspective about like how it took her a long time to come around to feminism and how she Mm -hmm. made her way into it and where she's has chosen to make an impact and, and why along the way. And I think it's actually helpful in that respect to see this person who has literally all the resources on the planet, you know, and how she came around and what she's what she's doing with it for people who, I don't know, again, I feel like I should just send it to these idiot white guys we argue with online and go like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it. But come on, pal. Please just um, Yeah, please just shut up. Um, so anyways, I just thought please that's just shut up. Please just shut up. Please just, please just stop. You're running, you're making it so much worse. Awesome. So let's talk about uh, and, and like you said, they really do add up into one thing, but is, I think it's yeah. important to discuss them as two. Let's talk about uh, a, a fam- about family planning. Yeah. That's obviously a hell of a topic right now uh, in, in the U.S. And, and uh, you wrote about it very eloquently on Twitter recently, which I don't know if anyone said that out loud before, <laughs> um, because that's not what that cesspool is. How does family planning affect climate change? Uh, we, we, we've, we talked about that, you know, fewer babies, but, but how do we, how do we come to understand this, uh, as a specific method? Yeah. I also, and now I'm, now I'm thinking about the angry white guys. Um, so I'm going to also like, I know I'm just going to like cut, cut off at the pass. (sighs) Um, I, some, some sort of commentary that may come, come flying, uh, your way, which is, God, these guys, they like, they fucking love the term population control, which just, I'm like, please, all listeners, like stop texting, keep driving. But like, for fuck's sake, please never use that term. If you've ever used it before, like, let it go. (laughs) Never use it in the future. Like, no one wants their population to be controlled, right? It's just offensive. And it is frankly, a sort of flip side of you know, the the battles that we're seeing in the U.S., particularly in my part of the country ar- mm-hmm. around choice. Anytime you're venturing into language that's about controlling the decisions women make about their bodies and the children they do or don't have, like you're venturing into some super shitty territory. Oh, yeah. um, so just get out of there. So with with that said, you know, and and remembering that we can't ever think about the variable of population without thinking about affluence and consumption mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. production, right? These are all sort of knit together. And yet, you know, it's it's a variable that matters. How many of us are on the planet 
eating and moving and building and wasting and you know all of the the things that we do these all end up having an impact on the environment and on emissions that impacts the climate so that's what we're thinking about and it turns out right that there is still a lot of unmet need in the world for reproductive healthcare there are still a lot of women who say they want to be able to decide to decide whether and when to become pregnant um, but don't have good access to contraception um, or or to healthcare. Um, we know that it's harder and more expensive than it needs to be, right? To get birth control, for example. Um, and this is, as as you mentioned, like this is not just a problem, you know, quote unquote, over there, right? This is a problem right. um, in America, and and so this again is just looking at. What's the ripple effect we see if women are able to access basic healthcare um, that they say they want and need and in too many cases don't have? And then what does that mean for right smaller families and then ultimately, you know, s- slowing the the growth of our um, global population? So that's, you know, it's it's not rocket science, really. You'd think. yeah wow that's that's wildly interesting and treading carefully because of uh you know population control uh i I read a report recently that said that the u.s is starting to fall behind the replacement rate Mm -hmm. uh so by some measures we're not having enough babies can is could this also be a good thing so I think there are right usually when we think about sort of the those replacement rate questions that's usually about economics and mm-hmm. keeping things like social security solvent and mm-hmm. and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Actually turns out right that immigration could be super helpful mm. <laughs> on on that front. Um <laughs> uh but just stirring yeah, up all kinds of shit here today. Just wow. just, just getting right into it. I know. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, and I, I, I think what's interesting and what's you know, I think is has mostly been sort of surmising um, and and not yet super uh, kind of data uh, driven yet is 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 the thought actually that one of the reasons people are choosing to have fewer children or not have children um, is actually that they don't feel good about the state of the planet. And, you know, when when there's sort of um, kind of low confidence in the future and and a lack of optimism about the future, um, that tends to show up in in the choices folks are making about making babies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's certainly, you know, it's it's something that I'm hearing a lot more women talk about, at least so far than than men. But, um, you know, that's in that (laughs) quote unquote eloquent Twitter thread, um, which I will I will take that compliment. Um, You know, I was kind of like trying to capture the 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 incredible tension here, right? That like to talk about a quote unquote right to life without a livable planet doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And also a livable planet is an absolutely essential foundation for reproductive justice, right? Sure. Like, you know, what does it mean to be able to say like, yeah, I can have, I can have a baby. I have good health care, um, But like, do I have a healthy planet for that, you know, for that, human to to spend their life on um is is a big question yeah 
You know, we had a really interesting conversation, I think you would like, with a woman named <clears throat> uh, Julia Steinberger, a uh, professor. Uh, and it was, I think it was episode 55-ish. Um, I, everything is a black hole in my life. I don't know. It was, it, it sounds uh, uh, kind of funny, but it was about the energy requirements of well-being. Um, mm. and, and she reached out to me on, uh, I think she kind of shouted into the, into the ether on Twitter and basically said like, whose podcast can I go on to, to talk about fascism and fascism and, uh, and climate. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm in. Uh, we'll, we'll take you. <laughs> yeah. All day. Uh, we had this real interesting talk. She's working on something called the energy requirements of wellbeing, which is basically like, what is this? What is the floor, the measure that are what is the requirement that everyone is entitled to sort of this new bill of rights the 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 fundamental number which sounds impossible to come to of of what is each person is requires now and kind of going forward and what does that look like in the context of how much energy each baby boomer has used and been right. allowed to use when there was no cap right. versus what their grandchildren my children will get to get to use, which by some measures is like a 10th or a 20th. And, and how does that apply so vastly differently across the globe? And what do we need to do to ensure that each person is, is allowed to, to, to utilize that requirement and has the resources in their country and locality and, and on their person to, to have that. And that is interesting to me, like you said, when we talk about this replacement rate, which is mostly economic economics driven, which is true. I mean, you look at what, what Japan and, and China are going to be facing, which China from the one child policy, like they're going to see mm -hmm. the ramifications of that for years and, and Japan with so many older folks, but we're going to be facing something really interesting too. And, and it does come down to looking at it and going, okay, if we're, if we're having fewer, and, and it, this is a similar, and this is just a pure fucking left turn here, which is, you know, people giving millennials shit. They're like, oh, they don't stay in a job and they're not having kids and they don't buy yeah. a house. And it's like, well, we ruined everything. Yeah. Um, so why the fuck? They can't buy a house because they can't afford them. Uh, we destroyed that. They can't. Everyone says we're going to live in cities. They can't afford to do that. So they have to mm -hmm. move every year. Uh, they, it, there was a report that said, uh, that said and, and you can say like, give them time. It was like, millennials cheat on their spouses a lot less than baby boomers. And one, it's like, well, the bar's pretty fucking low. And two, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're just really into seeking comfort because the fucking world is burning and they're looking for raises because everything is unaffordable. Again, so, but it just comes down to you look at them and you look at Generation Z below them. And, and again, like my kids' ages, uh, which is, what, what do they do? Like D-U-E, do. Um, and what do they do? Uh, to to build that world and and to earn it because it's um it's just going to be a fundamentally different equation. But yeah. giving it seems insane, and which is what makes the stuff in 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 that is happening in America literally like this week uh, <laughs> so insane is like it it's just common sense. Like of course women should be the ones making the choices about their bodies and what they do with with their bodies and uh, both sexually and reproductively and whatever the fuck else they want to do <laughs> school wise or or athletics who, who cares mm -hmm. they should do it but it does have a bigger effect to how we look at this thing and go what is everyone what is everyone given and and how do we build a system that is given to them um yeah. so that they can do those things so we say like oh these children are supposed to save the world and uh, Greta Thunberg is out there and it's like, yeah, but what are the resources we're giving her to go save the world? When we're like, sorry, we fucked it up. You got to do it. 
Um, I don't know. This is a terrible five-minute diatribe, try, but I think about this all the time in the context of sort of my own kids. When yeah. you go, they're going to have a harder world. It's like, okay, but, but what is, what's the reality? What's that going to look like? And, and what are they going to have to operate with and the choices they're going to make? Yeah. These kids, <laughs> wise people in their teenage years, let's call them, right. um, you know, they're like, they're, they're angry and they're sad and they're scared and they damn well should be. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an incredible injustice that's that's been done to them, right? That you know, most of the the damage that we have done to the climate we've done since we have known what we've been doing. You know, we've we've done most of it in 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 the last thirty years, yep. and that's just it's unconscionable, right? And it's it's interesting too thinking about the you know the the abortion bans that that are kind of making their way through state legislatures and then climate inaction right in both of these cases it's like we're, this we're not talking about the choice of the of a majority right, right. um we know that that in every con- congressional district in the country a majority of people support staying in the paris agreement and we know that in no state in the country does support for overturning Roe v. Wade go above 25%. And yet you have these kind of small cabals of mostly conservative white men who are like holding the whole thing hostage, which, you know, I think speaks to this point about different leadership, right? And and throwing our weight and support and dollars and platforms behind behind other voices. And and I think Greta is she is she is emblematic of the really catalytic leadership that we are seeing from from women and girls on climate right now really a- across the board but they're not getting enough they're not getting enough support uh particularly when you kind of dip like just below sort of superstar status hey guys it's quinn If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts, so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. I thought she had, I can't remember if she wrote this or put it in a speech, but a, a month or two ago, uh, she, she, I think she gave maybe a talk somewhere uh, where it, it might have literally been, you know, standing on a street because she just doesn't give a fuck, which is fantastic. <laughs> but it was basically, the, everyone, she, she basically jumped on this uh, mantra that everyone's taken up, which is like, kids are saving the world. And she's like, yeah, we're trying to, but it would also be great if you just fucking helped. Like, right. <laughs> hey, you don't get to just be like, oh, thank God, they're going to save the world. It's like, yeah, good no, luck. no, no, because we still can't run for office because we're fucking 16. Do right. your job. 
Right. Like what, what tools other than being like the moral barometer for humanity, like what other tools do they have to save the world? They don't control capital. They don't control rulemaking. You know, they, they're changing the paradigm. They're changing the stories, but we need everybody else to grab the other levers for change that, that we've got, um, that, you know, frankly, kids don't have access to. Yeah, because you technically can't run for office, right. you know, until certain <laughs> or places. be a CEO. It's or, like yeah. we can fucking know, march like, all we want, but yeah. we can't draft legislation. We can't vote on things. We can't. You can't even be like the mayor of a fucking town and, and kick out the coal plant. You know, it's like uh, just do do your job. Do yeah. do the thing. Just please, oh, please. God. It's a team effort here. Um, I've been uh, I've been sporting recently a pen that Mary Robinson, who was the first woman to be president of Ireland, yeah, um, she's awesome. She, she she has she has these wonderful um, little pens that say "angry angry grannies for climate justice." Um, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not a granny. I'm only a dog mom. But I've been wearing it because I feel like an angry granny, you know. Um, and I also feel like it's a good permission kind of permission slip um, for uh, for for whatever might come out of my my mouth <laughs> i think it's that. good just just putting it out there uh my wife recently got a shirt that says i cry at work uh yeah, which i think is great too. she's just like here's the deal <laughs> <laughs> like here's the deal this is what you're getting uh yeah. yeah i think the better question is like who are the people who don't cry at work like i for sure cry at work <laughs> to be clear uh, Brian knows he walks in sometimes. He's like, "Oh boy, it's one of those." Here days. we go. Um, I'm usually fine, but then I get here and then I start crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did I tell? I think I said I, we have these like side sh- side shows. It is really a fucking side show called Fun Talk, which is just Brian and I chatting about whatever. I think I told the story about Brian the misogyny shirt. Did I? I, do? I don't know if I did that on the main one. So my children are small, and and we like to dress them in things that they don't understand yet because Perfect. they don't have a choice. They also don't have shame yet, which is really fun. <laughs> um, but uh, my my wife got this shirt for I have boy, girl, boy, and my wife got a shirt for our youngest that says it's just a picture of an ador- of a cartoon fox. Um, but it says I don't says I don't care for your misogyny. To be clear, like he is very young and doesn't know any of those words, mm-hmm. um, much less the biggest one. I was driving um, him and my my daughter to their school and. Uh, she, who is also young and doesn't know those words, looked at the shirt and just very innocently said, um, what does that word mean? And I was like, well, I clearly knew which one she was asking about sure. because it just looks like a complicated word <laughs> if you're trying to sound things out. It's fair. Um, and I just tried to dial it down as much as I could, which is more or less what I have to do 24 hours a day. And I just basically said, well, honey, some people think and it's mostly men think that boys are better than girls. And she looked over at her brother who was basically just like covered in fucking avocado and food and like shoving a <laughs> fist a in his mouth. <laughs> and her other brother wasn't, he was already at his school and like not in the car, but it's just like constantly lying about washing his teeth and brushing, his, you know, like all of the things and it's just covered in mud and just, you know, they're just idiots. And, <laughs> To her, she just literally started laughing (laughs) because the math didn't add up. She was just like, how would that be possible that boys are better than girls? Because I live with animals. 
<laughs> like it just, it just, she just started cackling. Oh my god! This side of him, she's just like that. That's not true. And I was like, yeah, look, I, I know, I know, it's it's ridiculous. But I'm so happy that's like her starting place is right. like, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. Yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, I I thought that was pretty fun. Um. Uh, so, so Catherine, let's get a uh, personal uh, real quick here. How, how did you come to Project Drawdown? What what attracted you to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. Um, so I I spent a super formative uh, four months when I was sixteen living in the woods uh, awesome. in Western North Carolina, which was kind of like you know that was my sort of deeply politicizing like you know, kind of officially step into the life and, and work of, of being an environmentalist. Carried, carried that with me. I ended up doing a, a PhD looking at what was at the time this sort of burgeoning climate movement among evangelical Christians uh, in the US. And that work left me with a lot of critiques of the climate movement, kind of the secular climate movement, the mainstream climate movement. Um, and, and honestly, kind of at the, I finished that work, I turned it into a book. And then I really was, I found the climate space depressing <laughs> and, and frankly, not super friendly to women and not super friendly to other ways of thinking beyond kind of science, policy, economics. And so it was hard for me to figure out like, where should I fit in that world? So I, I ended up doing about five years of, of work in consulting and uh, sort of Aristotle meets Dr. Seuss for business, like trying to help companies find their purpose, but, but really was kind of tugged, you know, tugged back into work on climate and ended up, uh, Kind of crossing paths with Project Drawdown um, through a client of mine interface, and I just thought this this work is addressing so many of the gaps that the climate movement has struggled with, um, and it it you know was really kind of an exciting opportunity to go from thinking about the you know the stories that we tell about climate change and humans and the planet um, to actually being part of writing those um, and and shaping those. So that's that's kind of a, a slightly long and windy tale, but that's basically it. <laughs> I don't know why you feel like long and windy would be inappropriate in this conversation. Um, I, 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 I wanted to take this sort of left turn just because it is for so many people uh, and, and I feel like I want to get into this in a minute. It is a, a personal mission. There is a reason why people tend to get in this, right? And get involved in some way. Yeah. Because the thing about it is, um, there's no really other way to put it. It's pretty fucking traumatic being in this job. Um, whether you're an actual scientist working on it or a communicator or both, like so many of these people, like Catherine Hayhoe, or Michael Mann, um, or you've just got a dumb fucking podcast. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. and it's a choice every day to get out of bed and, and keep doing it. Cause it can be really, really hard. Um, and, and we are now thankfully in the news seeing more and more of it. Unfortunately, it's because more and more of it is happening. 
there is so much positive action happening. If we can, if we can just jump onto it and, and turn things around and throw investment into it and get people on board, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So projects like Project Drawdown uh, are so important and, and people like you are so important. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, knowing all of that, is there a specific relationship that you can point to that was a catalyst for your actions to get you where you are today? Is there someone who really drew you to this or inspired you to do this? So I would say um, I had kind of a a cluster of really influential teachers. um, And and some of those were, you know, actual teachers um, whose classrooms I I found myself in or um, whose out-of-doors classrooms I I found myself in. but I would say also there were writers who had a, a really big um, impact on me as well. Um, I started reading Mary Oliver at 16 um, during those months of living in the woods. Uh, I read Daniel Quinn's uh, you know, classic book, uh, Ishmael, at that time. Great so. Book. Yeah, great book. And 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 that really was the time where I started asking like, yeah, what what yeah, what are these stories we're telling about this place and our responsibility to it or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um and and I would say you know, I I had grown up spending time with my with my grandmother on my mom's side of the family in the mountains in Tennessee. So, I had had a real kind of sense of of connection to the like beyond human world and i and i think you know some some formative experiences of like you know coming out of a of a national forest and into a fresh clear cut right and just kind of mm-hmm. feeling the intensity of what of what humans are are doing to this to this planet and and to ourselves right um as you know, entangled as we are in in the living systems of this earth, it's really heartbreaking. Um, and I think you know your your point about this work being hard. You know, it is like for me, I just have sort of come to accept that like part of my work is just to hold the grief and and to 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 do the work of holding and honoring the grief and creating space for possibility at the same time. Because if you're you know, awake and aware and paying attention to what's happening, like it is going to break your heart. It absolutely fucking will. Um, And so how, instead of that being like heartbroken, like curled on the couch in the fetal position, (laughs) um, which like there's time for that. uh, But like, how how does it also kind of sort of break open into something more generative, right? Into a space where like vision and action can can emerge. And, you know, it's... I think other social movements have been better uh, at, at kind of grappling with and addressing the soul dimensions and the emotional dimensions of the work. And I think the climate space has not been been so great with that. You're really talking about kind of tangoing with existential questions every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a lot. I mean, you're, you're totally right. It, 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 like you, Tangling with existential questions every day is a hell of a fucking life choice to make, right? It is much easier to put our head in the sand, which uh, 
I think we all collectively did for a long time. And and I've I've said before here, I understand why people do it now, seeing some of the news yeah. they see. Especially if you're I don't know, sometimes I don't know what's harder. Being exposed to it every day and reading like embargoed climate reports, or you wake up on a Tuesday and you're like, Oh, what's the Trump bad news? And then you see some other shit where you're like, Oh, we're fucked. Um, <laughs> you know. I weird, which is weird because I thought last Monday I got news that we're fucked. Turns out they were off by a you know a magnitude uh, or whatever. So I, I have totally been, and we were talking about this recently, and we had a pretty amazing conversation that's coming out um, with a woman named Nikki Silvestri um, about being the person on the couch under a blanket when you're supposed mm, to be working on this, which was me. Mm, mm. But it is important to eventually pull it, do whatever your fucking self care is, do what the thing is, and then get back to being like you said, generative, which is I think such an important world. Um, but for for our listeners who who are invested in this, they're taking action. If they're white people, they're marching in the street for the first time in their life. Um, there's this interesting question among like climate nerds, uh, and of course it's mostly online where everything uh is in concrete, but whether like for everybody else, whether whether personal climate actions or clean energy actions, whatever, whether those actually matter, reducing mm-hmm. food waste, using getting solar on half your roof, uh, getting an EV, a used one or a new one, or just driving less, versus the the obvious much larger industrial actions that need to be taken, right? Um, yeah. And are the things that are going to actually move the needle. Some folks uh, are very fervent and I think understandably believe that personal a- actions are really just like a drop in the proverbial bucket, the, literally the biggest bucket of all time. And I do get that if we're talking about measurable things. But m- my argument, which I've tried not to dip into too much because then I look up and it's three in the morning and I've got to get up with my kids in a couple hours, is, is that having skin in the game makes you a hell of a lot more likely to hold other people, particularly your representatives or the industry itself to task. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, it's, it's, it's a motivator. Whether you, you buy a 2014 Nissan Leaf or, or you get some panels or you start... Dealing with food waste is like fucking annoying. Composting is, is, an, is another <laughs> thing you have to do in a busy fucking life, right? Um, yeah. And so to me, it makes me feel, and I feel like pushing this on other people because that's all I do. Um, <laughs> It's a motivator where you're like, again, whether you're talking to a friend who just doesn't get it or doesn't want to get on board or your representative, whether they're local or your city council or your representative from Congress who just doesn't fucking listen. It's an opportunity and a reason to say like, hey, motherfucker, I'm doing my part and it's really annoying. Uh, Let's go. Tick tock, tick tock. And and to me, that's where the generative part comes in, right? Is is you ha- it, it might feel like you're fighting this overwhelming fight, but it might be the thing that moves the needle in the end and gets that other stuff done. But I understand that it's hard. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, the <laughs> it's such an... Like, maybe maybe one of the things I hate most in the, like, business school world is, like, you can't manage what you can't measure, right? <laughs> yeah. right? And it's, like, as if, like, manage... Like, what? I mean, what is that? What? <laughs> um, and... But there is, I think there is this... There is this bias towards, like, the only things that matter are actions that have measurable results, Right? 
which then limits you to really narrow kind of, you know, A to B to C sorts of orientations, right? And to me, there's so much that happens in how we choose to move through our days that is like where the rubber hits the road of values, right? And beliefs and and integrity, right? In in like the deepest sense of the word of actually, you know, having what we say and what we do line up in some some fundamental ways. And it's where we participate in shaping stories and shifting norms. And so I guess, you know, I I come to a lot of this work with more of a humanities and social science hat on than anything else. Um, and and I think even about my my own experience, I've uh, I've been vegetarian for twenty years. Um, you know, do I think that that's having like can I measure that impact on global emissions? No, right. I can't. But it is a way for me three or more times a day to like get grounded in in my values and to remember that I am a part of the living systems of this planet. And that means I have a choice about, you know, whether to be a more <laughs> kind of beneficial participant um, in, in those systems or a more destructive one. Um, and so I, I guess I just, the, these debates, I think, can become so binary in a way that I think is really unhelpful. And, and I really like that, that notion that like, if you personally have more skin in the game, you're going to show up <laughs> to make sure that other people do too. Um, I mean, I think that, I think that that makes sense to me. Um, and that the more we can, the more we can sort of live into the future that we're trying to, bring about, even if it's in small and imperfect ways. Um, you know, I think those are still sort of, I don't know, maybe it's overly hopeful, but I, I like to think that they're sort of talismans of something to come. You'd hope so, right? I yeah. mean, look, not everyone in America is going to, like you choosing to compost and to not throw away and not order that extra fucking side of delivery from Postmates that you're just going to throw away, like is not going to immediately make 400 million people stop doing the same thing. That's if it did. Yes, that would be the thing that moves an enormous piece of the needle. Uh, but it is going to make you feel like I am doing something. This is frustrating. We should be doing more. And these are the people I can talk to about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I totally, yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, I think in, in some ways, like if you really sort of probe, like, so, so why would you say it's not worth doing those things? Right. Then you would start to ask like, well, none of the, like none of the more systemic work that we're doing in the climate space has any guarantee of success. Right. So yeah. if absolutely guaranteed outcome is, you know, of, of, of a measurable large size is what you're going for, then like, you would stop all of this work immediately. Right, right. Right. Because like the odds are long and the bar is high. And like, we're like, you know, some days I just have to remind myself that it's like, you just show up to do this because it is the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Um, yes. You don't show up because you know, you're going to get the outcome that you're hoping for. Right. There's so much uncertainty, but to me, like it feels a hell of a lot better to be, in alignment with 
life, <laughs> right? right. Um, than to be standing on the sidelines or or like actively thwarting it. And there are so many ways to be participating in creating a life-giving future. Like I just like, why wouldn't you want to come to that party? That's a good party. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a- a- absolutely. And it just, if it's all too depressing, guess what? This is a thing that can make you feel good. Yeah. It's, it can make you feel like you're doing something. Yep. Yeah. All right. L- let's get back to, to uh, girls, uh, to educating girls and, and, the, and family planning. Moving towards the action segment. Here. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where have we, uh, where have we seen gains in, uh, uh, and and where have we seen the, the biggest obstacles? For for these two specifically. Yeah. yeah. So we talked a little bit about good gains in um in securing, you know, primary school education for girls. Uh more work to still be done around secondary school. And, you know, there are many, many different interventions to help keep girls in school all the way through through high school. And there's so much good work being done on that. Again, Brookings has some really great resources for folks who want to want to dig a little bit deeper there. Um, and, and similarly, on, on access to reproductive health care, we are seeing sort of some gains. Um, you know, we've we've seen, for example, a small drop in the number of women globally who, you know, say that they have unmet need, for example, um, for contraception. Uh, but we're still talking about, you know, more than two hundred million women um, yeah. who who have needs. So it's like we're we're kind of inching along <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in in some of these areas, but but there's there's still some more some more work to do and. Not to get kind of overly in the policy wonky space, but uh, what the U.S. does around what's what's called the global gag rule ends up having a big impact on family planning for women around the world. What is so, that? So, global gag rule is kind of the you know the the sort of like slang term. The Mex- Mexico City policy um, is is another way. Uh, you know, if you want to give it a give it a Google, but it has to do with uh, U.S. dollars going into into reproductive health care globally. So, so right now, the Trump administration has uh, sort of brought the global gag rule back into alignment, which means no money from the U.S. can go to provision healthcare in any setting where there's even so much as a mention of abortion. Um, So you can imagine this has a a really big impact, a kind of pulling development dollars um, out of 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 areas where they're they're really needed to um, to provide reproductive healthcare. Um, So that's this is something that has that sort of generally flip flops Republican to Democratic administrations, and mm-hmm. and we're in a not great scene on that right now. Yeah, it's not enough. It's not enough just for us to like control the choices of women in America. We just seem to be hell bent on doing it uh, around the world. <laughs> there was, and this is just so dark. There was someone on Twitter who posted, uh, maybe you saw this, that they called the police. They were in a city, um, and this guy looked you know, like down a city block, 40 flights up and saw standing on the edge of a roof, what seemed to be a woman basically dressed as a handmaid. 
from Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. standing yeah. on the edge. And so he immediately fucking called police thinking like this would be a first just on a personal level, this person hurting themselves or killing themselves would be terrible. But, uh, you know, in the Handmaid's thing, like this is where we've come to. The policeman texted him back 20 minutes later. It was just an umbrella, uh, a red umbrella with a white cap on it. Uh, it was not a person. Um, but it just makes you go like, wow, are th- is that where we are? Yeah. Like, is that, is that where we are? Like, that's, man, boy, that's not yeah. great. Yeah, I, I live in Atlanta and there were, there were people in handmade, handmade outfits all during the legislative session, right? That ultimately resulted in the, in the abortion ban in, in Georgia after six weeks, which is effectively a, a total ban, right? Like that's happening that's happening in in my backyard in John Lewis's con- congressional district, right? Yeah. Um, in one of the largest cities in America. Um, this is the, this is the world that we're in, and I think, yeah, it's 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 a you know it's a really unsettling and scary time. I think to be a woman in America, and for folks who you know, for folks who are are. Don't live in the South. Don't live in a state where where these abortion bans are being debated or or coming into, um, you know, or 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 getting passed. And I think it's really easy to think that you're somehow insulated, but this is this is a national strategy to overturn Roe v. Wade, and we need we need to be showing up <laughs> right for for our rights and ensuring that elected officials have a game plan because it's a there's no there's absolutely no guarantee that the courts are are going to protect this right in in a way that they have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so all that to say maybe like I'm I'm probably jumping ahead but maybe a a good possible action item is also just to like see who's see who's working on reproductive justice in your backyard mm-hmm. almost certainly planned parenthood but lots of other fantastic local and state organizations um almost all of them have uh well i won't say almost all of them there are lots of great lobbying efforts you know if you've never gone down to your state capital and and lobbied before they will hold your hand and and show you how it's pretty fun. It's kind of weird, um, you know. But but a lot of this is like a lot of this is playing out in state politics right now. Sure. Um, so it's a it's a good moment to dip a toe into that for folks who haven't. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly where we want to go uh, with this conversation right now. Is is uh, to come up with some um, you know actionable specific actionable questions that we can all that we can all ask our our representatives and our elected officials. So yeah, what what are the what what's so again? We try to treat everyone like kindergartners, <laughs> which is just like make it easy for them, mash their fat finger against the button, um, <laughs> which is why we I, I personally love tools like FiveCalls.org. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. so. What what should our typical listener say to their let's say their state representative? What is the question they should be asking to put them on the spot to move the needle? Whether they're in an Alabama or they're in a Connecticut, um, you know, again, coming, looking at it through, and I think this conversation has been really helpful, especially because I think there's a lot of people, not a lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people are monsters, but yeah, a lot of people are monsters. Again, when there's so much going on and there's so many problems and everything is fucking terrible and we have these huge existential crisis and you see an abortion ban and you're like, that's a nightmare, but we also have climate change. Turns out they're fucking related yeah. um, because of these two things. So 
how does someone frame that specifically talking to their representative? Where in Connecticut, they might not think, or New York, oh my God, we're never going to see something like this. How do they, how do they frame that question, whether it's about education or family planning or both? Yeah. God, you know, I hate, <laughs> I, I sort of, I sort of get twitchy um, about like giving people marching orders when, you know, I think that there are, there really are groups on, on the ground who are thinking about what is like, what's the legislative landscape in this particular sure. place. Um, but, you know, I, to me, the most important thing, and that's like actually super, super simple is simply to, to reach out to elected officials and say like, I care about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I care about reproductive health care. I care about reproductive justice. And I want to know what you're doing to not just secure that right, but to expand it. I mean, this is the other thing we're seeing right now in places like like Illinois is actually an expansion of of reproductive um, health care and, and, and abortion access. Um, partially as a as a counterpoint to you know to what what's happening in other states. So I I also, you know, having this is not a world that I that I spend my my days in, but when I do, I'm also like I'm often struck by how few men are engaged. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, <laughs> men are also having abortions. They're just not having them on their own bodies. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Um yes. so it's like, come on, guys, you know, let's like like you can you can simply show up and listen. Um, but but it's but showing up is important. So that feels like a half a half assed answer. But no, no, that's great. I mean, we we uh, we're very skilled in half assed answers. So thank you. <laughs> well, welcome to the team. So I, I think the vote makes sense, right? Put sure. put good put good humans in office here. What about their dollar? Can you help us get specific about the places that are having the most impact for? educating girls and similarly for family planning. Cause like you, for instance, for family planning, we all know Planned Parenthood, which is under threat every fucking day, but there's also a bunch of great local organizations, things like that. So but let's just, let's do educating girls first a- anywhere they should, you know, and we're going to give them the actual, you know, website address yeah. here, where they should be sending their dough. Sure. Um, again, I mean, I think in, in both of these areas, there's no, there's no shortage of good, good places to support. The Malala Fund is one uh, that might be sticky for folks, right? Um, Because it's got another um, young save the world (laughs) Mm -hmm. woman uh, uh, associated with it. Yeah, the the Global Girls Alliance um, is, is Michelle Obama's uh, kind of a more recent initiative um, that is supporting a, a number of different uh, organizations that are that are doing great work on on girls' education. On the on the family planning side, um, there's great work that is done by groups like uh, Marie Stopes International, which is in in many places, you know, maybe the only provider of of reproductive health care. Hmm. Groups like uh, Pathfinder International also great, and and they're both thinking about you know the intersection. Of of reproductive justice and planetary health, um, so those would be two good ones to check out. And of course, Planned Parenthood, uh, which is which is operating in the U.S. but also outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I might, you know, 
I, I hesitate to sort of limit... I hesitate to limit the the gender climate nexus to just mm-hmm. education and family planning. Okay. Um, you know, as I've said, we're seeing so much fantastic catalytic leadership from women a- around the world, and there's lots of interesting work at the nexus of climate and gender equity. Um, groups like Solar Sister, for example, are harnessing the power of women's entrepreneurship and then, you know, distributed solar technology, LED lighting, for example, is, you know, is, is a great one. Groups like uh, like we do um, dot org, which for a long time has been um, an advocacy organization working at the intersection of gender equality and the environment and human rights. They do do fantastic work, kind of you know getting into the arena at things like the um, the climate negotiations and and the UN. Um, so so I would say you know it's. The, the things that we have in in drawdown in in these areas are the the sort of the things that are particularly measurable but I think there are super super powerful efforts that are harnessing the power of women's leadership and moving drawdown solutions forward um, at the same time another great one to to take a look at would be, uh, Root Capital, which does fantastic work with women smallholder farmers, which is another area that that we looked at within Drawdown. Yeah, I don't want to go on and on and on, but those are a few. That's awesome. That's a ton. That's great. No, yeah. those are there's some good there's some great stuff there. Um, and we yeah, the, the specifics are helpful. Yeah, and I you know the one other like assignment that I might like to to leave people with, especially especially sort of climate folks, right, mm-hmm. is we really need people in the climate world to up their game on gender equity and feminism, which means doing some learning, right? Yeah. Um, it means reading the work of folks like Bell Hooks and Rebecca Solnit. Um, it means listening to Mary Robinson and Maeve Higgins' wonderful feminist climate podcast, uh, Mothers of Invention. Oh my God, it's so um, good. It's so good. It, just, um, it both makes it inspires me and makes me want to just quit and just be like, well, why can't they just do the whole thing? They're amazing. <laughs> and I mean, again, sort of if you're looking for, you know, organizations or efforts to support, right? Just go take a look at who's been um, who's been on Mothers of Invention. Really incredible women doing incredible mm-hmm. work on climate, um, mm-hmm. on everything from divestment to litigation to uh, wave energy. Uh, you know, really kind of everything across the board. And I worked my little fanny off last year on a TED talk about this intersection of of gender equity and climate and. It is hopefully kind of a a good like thirteen minute orientation to to the topic, and um, I hope folks will you know think about using that as a way to start a conversation. Um, if you're spending your time thinking about environmental policy or climate solutions, and gender hasn't been on the table, it's maybe worth kind of taking a step back and and just thinking about that. Uh, I loved your TED talk. Yeah, I was going to say, we should make sure to put it in the show notes. It's fantastic. 
We will. Thanks, guys. Brian, that's your job. <laughs> oh, right. Got it. Um, Thanks. Yeah, no, super, uh, super enjoyable. Wow. Well, we, all right. We've taken what, we, uh, seven hours of your day. We so we apologize. A lot for that. of your day. You're trying to chill She's in the mountains. Never going to get to ride a horse. All again. you wanted to God do was it. find a wild horse to adopt and just kept you. Never, never yeah. again. I know. I, I feel like I got a, a little, uh, a little rambly at the end. So sorry, guys. I'm oh no, no, no you're you're more. fantastic. All I do is ramble. We want all of the thoughts that yeah. are in your brain. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, seriously. Thank thank you very very much uh, uh, for your time. We have just a few more questions. Uh, uh, last little things here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Catherine, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Maybe it's just because of where I am up on this mountain, um, but it's making me think about a summer here when I was, you know, I was probably five or six and um, there was actually a horse barn that burned down and uh I think I didn't have any concept of how much money you need to build any kind of structures, um, but I hosted uh, a lemonade stand uh, nice. to raise money to rebuild that barn. Um, and still there's like a twister box, the inside of a twister box somewhere up here that says, um, you know, 25 cents, whatever, tax deducible. <laughs> oh, God, that's great. <laughs> uh, we might need a picture of that. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> Tax deducible. There you go. <laughs> Always thinking about the economics. Yeah, I'm sure like some adult was like, you know, put that on there. That'll be funny. <laughs> I love the also D-dude. Like we talk about men getting the hell out of the way all the time. D-dude the situation. Yeah, just sort of the whole thing. Just D-dude it. Go oh. pure Thanos. Um, <laughs> hey, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? In the past six months, okay, so I was extraordinarily resistant to getting on Twitter. Um, I've had a mm-hmm. very sort of <laughs> Why? philosophical, well, <laughs> I think I didn't actually know how bad some of it was um, until it was too late. But but the part of me was like, you know, the last thing the world needs is more sound bites. I will absolutely not participate in this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, our, our comms manager was like, no, you just like, you have to, you have to get on. Um, and so... I did. And the silver lining of that has been connecting with all of these amazing women who are working on climate. Rihanna Gunwright among them, Kate mm-hmm. Marvel, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, yes. who if you all, have you all had her on? We have, we have had have. all okay. of those so Everybody women. that you've mentioned so far. Uh, yeah. And they so. are, again, <laughs> among the cabal of just like, you're in charge now. Yeah. Uh, yep. No one else gets to do anything. Yep. Nothing. Unfortunately, yeah. that means you guys got to do like, you know, trash clean. You got to run the whole thing, but <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, they're all like Kate Marvel. Her Twitter feed makes me oh, uncontrollably so happy. I know. <laughs> it is, she's she's yeah. so good. It and, is like the um, driest zero fucks given uh, attitude and perspective on this thing. I mean, yeah, they're they're fucking great. They're fucking great. And Ayana has just been, she's been like such a gift um, in in my life in the last six months. And we're cooking up some some fun things together. And I don't know that this will ever come to pass, wow. but we do. Ayana, Kate, Rihanna, and I do have a vision of um, a TV show what? that what? like instead of the view would be like the long view. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Can you please tell us how to help make that happen? Yeah, I, will hold on. I know so many people. Okay. We're, we'll, we might have to chat about that shit. because that, okay. um, oh my God. That's a I super team. So happy. I know Kate was like, I wow. don't want to be in front of the camera. We were like, wow. yeah, sorry. The trail of evidence is way too fucking long. Whoa. Uh, oh God. That is so All right. crazy we'll, to hear. We'll chat about that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> offline because now I'm just can't think about anything else. Great. Brian, take it home. Uh, Catherine, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What is your, uh, what is your Catherine time? <laughs> My Catherine time? Um, mountains, rivers, yes. dogs, horses when possible. Um, I, you know, I'm a bitter Southerner, so bourbon. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, this is wonderful. Um, and I have a, a like monthly circle that I'm a part of that has become like a really important sort of grounding and nourishing practice in my life. Wow, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, that's also reasonable. Sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Ask, oh, ask her your favorite question. Uh, my favorite question is, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? <gasps> mm-hmm. I mean... I have to say drawdown. Um, I mean, right? Right, because also it has a lot of pictures. So I think he, <laughs> sure, sure. Like he, he might open it, actually. You're really thinking um, about this? Yeah. It's in Donald like an easy-to-understand list. You can just go right down it. Yeah, just like flip about. You know, you can start wherever you want. Um, I also just think there could be something wonderful about sending him um, like one of the children's books about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That also feels like a just there's some good ones he, sh- out he there. should have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I love her so much. Where can our listeners follow you on the online that you uh that you've recently reluctantly finally joined but have yeah. embraced? <laughs> um yeah, I gave into the tweets. Um mm-hmm. I'm at Dr. K Wilkinson and Project Drawdown is at Project Drawdown. Um same thing on Instagram at Dr. K Wilkinson. I'm don't do as much on there, but I am there. It's, it's like the, the kids are on there, you know, doing their stories and kids such. love it. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love Instagram, um, but sort of a, like a, a, you know, professional public version of Instagram is a new, a slightly newer thing for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Nobody needs good. to see the other feed, Catherine. We don't need that. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much Arthur the dog, probably. There's never enough oh, sweet <laughs> Arthur the dog. There's no, there's, Come on. Anyways. All right. Um, Holy shit. We've kept you for long enough. Thank you so much uh, for your time today and everything you're doing out there in the world. Um, I hope you, you get some horse time soon. Uh, Everybody (laughs) needs it. It it makes it actually, uh, I I try to fight against this thing of like, Oh, time off means I'm not doing the thing, but it actually makes you better at your job Yes, and a, a fuller person who can manage these things. So, Whatever it is you need, let Brian know. He will help facilitate it. Anything you need, um, ever. Awesome. We appreciate you. Uh, keep kicking ass out there, and um, we're gonna we're gonna have a side chat about the long view. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna hash this thing out. Um, okay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's let her get out of here. Thank you so much, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, Catherine. That sounds great, guys. All right, thanks, thanks again. Thank you. Enjoy right. the mountains. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. 
We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.